Chapter Forty Eight of the Cliff Climbers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. The Cliff Climbers by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter Forty Eight. No more paper trees. There was nothing mysterious in the disappearance of the cord. The kite was no longer visible on the summit of the cliff. The wind had carried it away, and, of course, its rope along with it. When the first moment of surprise had passed, our adventurers turned toward each other with glances that spoke something more than disappointment. Notwithstanding the number of times that the kite had failed to fix itself, still it had once taken a fast hold and it was but reasonable to suppose it would have done so again. Besides, there were other places where the precipice was as low, or even lower, than where they had made their trials, and at some of these they might have been more successful. Indeed, there was every probability that, had they not lost the kite, they would have been able in due time to have climbed out of their rock-bound prison by a ladder of rope. But now all chance of doing this was gone forever swept off by a single puff of wind. You may be fancying that the misfortune was not irremediable. Another kite, you will be saying, might be constructed out of similar materials as those used in making the one carried away. But to say this would be to speak with a, a full knowledge of the circumstances. The same thought had already passed through the minds of our adventurers, when they perceived that the kite they were flying was getting torn and otherwise damaged. Oh, we can easily make another one, suggested Caspar at the crisis. Oh, no, brother, was the answer, Carl. Never another. I fear we have paper enough left to patch this one, but not enough to make another. But can't we make more paper, can we not? urged Caspar. Ah, again replied Carl with a negative shake of the head. No more, not another sheet. But why? Do you think there are no more Daphne trees? I think there are not. You remember we stripped all there were in the thicket, and since then, thinking we might need more bark, I've gone all through the valley and explored it in every direction, without meeting a single shrub of the Daphne. I am almost certain they are all gone. This conversation between the brothers had occurred long before the losing of the kite. When the event came to pass, it was not necessary for them to repeat it and both being thus acquainted with the fact that it was impossible for them to construct another, they felt that they had sustained an irreplaceable loss. In what direction had the kite been carried off? Might it not blow along the line of the cliffs and toss back into the valley? As there appeared some probability that such a chance might arise, all three ran outward from the rocks in order to command a better view of the precipice on each side. For a long time they stood there watching, in hopes that they might see the great paper bird returning to the scene of its nativity. But it never came back, and they became, at length, convinced that it would never. Indeed, the direction of the wind, when they paused to consider it, rendered the thing not only improbable, but impossible. It was blowing from the cliffs and towards the snowy ridge. No doubt the kite had been carried up the sloping acclivity and had either passed clear over the mountains or became lodged in some deep defile where the wind could no longer reach it. At all events, it was certain that both kite and cord were lost to them forever. 
Ah, how unfortunate! exclaimed Caspar, in a vexed tone, when they had finally arrived at this conviction. What ill-starred luck we have, to be sure! Hey, brother, remarked Carl, in a tone of reproval. Do not chide fortune for what has happened just now. I acknowledge it is a great misfortune, but it is one for which we may justly blame ourselves, and only ourselves. By sheer negligence we have lost the kite, and along with it, perhaps, the last chance of regaining our liberty. Yes, you speak truly, rejoined Caspar, in a tone of mingled regret and resignation. It was our fault, and we must suffer for it. But are you quite sure, Brother Carl, resumed he, after a pause, and referring to the conversation that had already passed between them, are you quite sure there are no more of these paper-bearing trees? Of course, replied the plant hunter. I am not positive, though I fear it is, as I have said, that there are no more. It will be easy for us to determine the point by making a complete exploration of the valley. It may be that something else might turn up which would answer the purpose equally as well. There is a birch tree indigenous to the Himalaya mountains, both in Nepal and Tibet. Its bark can be stripped off in broad flakes and layers, to the number of eight or ten, each almost as thin as common paper, and suitable for many purposes to which paper is usually applied. Do you think it would do for a kite? inquired Caspar, without waiting for Carl to finish his explanation. Oh, I'm sure of it, replied the botanist. It would serve even better than the Daphne paper. And had I believed there was a chance of finding it here, I should have preferred it to that. But I don't think we shall find it. I have observed no species of birch, and I know that this one, like most of the Betulacea, affects a much colder climate than there is in this valley. Lucky enough it grows on the mountains above, but there it is out of our reach. Could we reach it there, we should not need to be robbing it of its manifold envelope. But let us not despair, added Carl, endeavoring to appear cheerful. Perhaps it may be found growing down here, or, if not, we may still find another grove of Daphne trees. Let us proceed on and search. Carl was far from being sanguine in either conjecture, and it was well for him that he was not, for after a minute and careful exploration of the valley, which occupied nearly three whole days, neither the wish for birch nor the desire of Daphne trees, nor any other material out of which a kite might be manufactured rewarded their search. It was of no use, therefore, to think any longer of a kite, and the subject was at length dismissed from their minds. End of chapter 48 Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan